Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and we're going to start off a little different than normal on today's potsy. I'm trying new things out, trying to figure out what works as we head into 2022 and kind of structure what I'm going to be doing in the next year. And so I thought, usually, the way the podcast works is I talk about some of the big stories, then I get to the headlines. So I thought I'd start with the headlines and then get to the big stories, so if that works, let me know. If you don't like it, also let me know. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. I, I, I'm okay. I was in talk radio for 10 years. I can take constructive criticism. Even if it's not constructive, it's just awful criticism. I can probably take it. <laughs> I've developed a thick skin. And no, that wasn't just me eating. I have a thick skin for another reason as well. So let's start with the headlines. And we're going to start with a big story that impacts us in housing as well as the overall economy. And that is, what is the Fed doing? So we know that for like all year, for the most part, at least the last couple of months, people have been pointing out, hey, look at this inflation. Are you guys worried about this inflation? Hey, is the Fed going to do anything about this inflation? Well, it looks like they may be doing something. Maybe doing something, if you want to look at it that way. Tapering could be ending much sooner than originally thought, at least according to CNBC, I think Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal also picked up on this as well. But I saw CNBC report on it first, reporting that comments by Fed officials suggest the central bank is likely to decide to double the pace of its taper to about $30 billion a month at its December meeting next week. Now, initial disclosures, discussions could also begin as soon as the December meeting about when to raise interest rates, which many, of course, people are betting on that to be moved up as well. And so this is kind of a big deal. I mean, this is obviously a big deal because it would highlight a major shift in Fed policy. The Fed has been focused on unemployment ever since the unemployment rate hit 14.7% immediately following the shutdown of the U.S. economy over COVID-19 concerns. So obviously that's where they should be focusing when it was at 14.7%. But since then, the unemployment rate has fallen well, where are we at now? In the threes? I can't even, I don't even know what the number is. We're in the threes. It's low. It is very low. And so a lot of people have said now's the time to focus on inflation. And that's kind of what they're signaling here. An aggressive tapering policy would no doubt signal the Fed's efforts are now more focused on restraining inflation than trying to get us back to those pre-pandemic employment levels. This is a big deal any way you look at it and it directly affects housing interest rates all of that so this there's no doubt that's that's a big big headline that we saw yesterday and then one of the other big headlines kind of related just to the overall country that is the biden administration announcing that they will not be sending an american government official to the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. The New York Times reporting, the diplomatic boycott has been described by some critics of China in Congress as a way to hold Beijing accountable while not punishing American Olympians. 
other more hawkish members of Congress, including Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas, have called for a total boycott of the Beijing games. Now, listen, I don't agree with the Biden administration on a lot, but I do agree with them on this issue. I do not agree with Senator Cotton that we should boycott the entire games. I am not a fan of China in any way, shape or form. But if you remember, Jimmy Carter tried this very thing and it did not go over very well at all. In fact, it really came across as more of a punishment for the athletes than it will come off as a punishment of China. That's who's really going to be hurt by this. I mean, sure, it'll send a message. I understand that. But it's really going to hurt the American athletes who have been training for this their entire life. So I don't agree that we should do something that would penalize our athletes more than the Chinese. And so I think that this is a, it's a strong signal. There's no doubt about that. And I mean, who, you know, who knows what will happen uh, before the Olympic Games begin. But I do agree with this. I think that this is a this is a good signal and not hurting our athletes. Could Like I said, could something change? It's possible. But I, I like this move. And so, like I said, I don't agree with the Biden administration a lot. But I do agree with him on this move. All right, let's get into the big story in housing yesterday. That was a new report from Black Knight that found that tappable equity in the United States, obviously, has hit an all-time high. Obviously, thanks to, can I say obviously one more time? Uh, obviously, thanks, yes, I can, to skyrocketing home prices, tappable equity has now hit a record amount in the third quarter of 2021. How much are we talking? 9.4 million. 9.4 million. Is that impressive? <laughs> $9.4 trillion thanks to a $2.3 trillion year-over-year increase. That is a 32% increase like I said, in the third quarter of 2021. Now, a dollar amount, available equity is now $178,000 thanks to a 42% increase year over year. That is $53,000. Now, of course, when it comes to housing and really anything, we're talking about a product, you know, it's good the prices go up. There's also the other side of the coin. So rising home prices mean it's more expensive to own a home. The average monthly mortgage payment now takes 22.4% of the median household income, which is a 24% increase from the 18.1% at the beginning of 2021. Higher home prices, rates have also moved up a little bit at the same time. It's more expensive to own a home right now. This is the highest level since late 2018, when a 30-year rate, or the 30-year rate, I should say, was at 5%. So rates have not moved up that much, but home prices have. And that's why you're seeing a com comparable number to what we saw in 2018 with much higher rates. Now let's get back to the good news. I'd like to talk about good news here. Rising equity stakes have pushed the average homeowner combined mortgage debt down to just 45.2% of the home value. That is the lowest average combined loan to value ratio on record. So that's why anyone that compares what is happening right now in housing to 2008, stop listening to them, turn off if you're listening to them on, a, on an audio device. If you're talking to them in person, say thank you very much, get up and walk away. They have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, this is the lowest level 
that we have seen. I mean, that's that's how good it is right now in housing. We're not talking about people owing 110% on their houses. That mortgage debt ratio, lowest. It has been on record. And that's not, or I should say it's not surprising then, that's why cash out refis have jumped and they have now reached 54% of all refinances in the third quarter, which represents 70 billion in equity being tapped that is the highest withdrawal in 14 years. Now, I know what you're going to think. Well, Tyler, this sounds like 2008, 2007. People are tapping their equity. Oh, no, this is hor- this is not good. $70 billion. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, once again, $9.4 trillion, $80 billion. You got to make sure you remember the T that we were talking about earlier because $70 billion represents 0.8% of available equity, which is less than one third of what we saw during peak activity in 2005. And let's not forget credit standards remain strong. The average credit score is 50 points higher than back in 2005. So what we're seeing is a situation where sure, people are tapping that equity. There's a lot, there's a lot of it. And it is increasing. But one of the reasons why that dollar amount is so high is because there's so much money that is available out there. This is not an indication that we're getting back to 2006, 2007, people borrowing. First of all, you can't. But back then, you know, people were borrowing 100, 110%. Now we have people who are like, yeah, let's get to 60. <laughs> you know, it's like, or I mean, I should say they're, they're going to uh, borrow to the point where they have still have 60 to 50% of equity still in their home. That's how much is out there. So you see these big numbers, 70 billion, but remember there's 9.4 trillion in equity available out there. So yeah, 80 70 billion, that's a big number, but not in the context of there being 9.4 trillion available. Ben Grabowski, the Black Knight Data and Analytics president, pointed out what really separates 2021 from 2006 is equity levels. The aggregate total of 9.4 trillion is up an astonishing 32% as we just mentioned. But this number is just unbelievable. This is 90% higher than the pre-Great Recession peak in 2006. So remember the drive up, I should say, before 2006, people were buying homes, but there was no equity. They were 100% financing. It was a it was a crazy crazy time. That's why 90% higher than what we saw in two. These are people home values are going up and people are actually making money on them. It's not credit. It's not a figment of their imagination. I mean, obviously everything's a figment of your imagination until you sell it. But the reality is is that they have 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% equity in their homes. This isn't 100% financing that's happening right now. It's just, it's so different than what we saw in 2006. It's just, it's hard to even find a way to to explain how opposite things are. Um, now, I don't know if this is happening in 2006. It might've been, not entirely sure. Uh, but well, obviously not because we're seeing record levels. Apartment rents. So, you know, first we had housing prices skyrocket and now rents are following. Remember rents like it dropped to all-time lows across the country, especially in major cities and now they are just, it's like a rubber band. They got pulled all the way back and they have shot back so quick that we are now seeing record rents and record occupancy levels. November is usually the time of year that you will see a dip in rent prices. 
and occupancy levels, to be honest, but not in 2021. (laughs) Nothing, nothing makes sense after 2020. Occupancy levels are now at an all time high of 97.5. That was in November, according to Real Page. And what's interesting about that is that that is 2.5 percentage points higher than the 95% baseline that's kind of been the standard for the last three decades. And when you have high occupancy rates, rents are going to increase. Rent prices grew 0.4% in November, which is down from the 0.6% that we saw in October and down from the high that we saw in July of 2.2% month over month growth. But this is a slowdown time and we're still seeing growth. That's why rents are now 13.9% higher than the same time one year ago. Now, not surprisingly, some places are a little bit more expensive than others. And West Palm Beach saw the biggest year-over-year jump at 28%, followed by Tampa and Phoenix, who are both at 26%. Greg Willett, chief economist at RealPage, explained why these type of rentals that are in demand right now could be having an oversized impact on prices. He said in a release, the demand from renters is really strong, especially for luxury products. As the economy has recovered, we've done a better job in high paying employment than we have in lower paying jobs. So people making more money are like, I want the nice apartment. I want the granite countertops. I want the indoor parking. I want the uh, you know open shower or glass shower or whatever it is that's cool in the bathrooms right now. That's what I want. And so they're clamoring for luxury apartments. Now, a lot of people get upset and they say, well, see, Tyler, this is the problem. That's why we don't have affordable housing. But as I've mentioned many a times, many a studies have found that even building luxury apartments put downward pressure on overall rent prices. They affect rents in the aggregate and actually lower the average rent price. Because what happens when you have a luxury apartment complex that's charging the most, then you build a nicer one and they're charging maybe a little bit more, whatever it may be, that other place in order to win those people back over or to keep them where they are, they're gonna have to lower the rent. Otherwise, they're gonna go to that nicer place. And then everyone else lower rates in a pattern. And so that's why it helps everybody on the income level, on any income level, the whole chart. They all benefit from that. All right, we gotta go, you guys. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, what do we have happening today? Wall Street's. What's it watching for? We got balance of trade data out at 8.30 and then consumer credit data out at 4 p.m. So keep an eye on that. Also, markets, I'm sure, will be fun to watch today as well. You guys, enjoy your Tuesday. I will see you back here Wednesday. Yeah, that's the day. Wednesday. (laughs) I don't know what day it is. All right, you guys enjoy your day. I'll see you on Wednesday. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Yeah.